Vegetarians don't eat anything that came from um, an animal, who, a, an individual who was killed. So fish or cows or any kind of meat. Um, but we, but we do. Vegetarians partake in other aspects of animal exploitation, like uh, vegetarians drink their milk or wear their hides and things like that. So veganism takes it to basically, as a vegan, I do not. One is for the animals, just so they're not exploited, because we believe that they are individuals with their own lives and um, own rights. And the second one is the environment, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about, the fact that eating animals is a terrible waste of water. But the climate change is, is about national security, it's about quality of life for humans. It's unfortunately has been framed as an environmental issue, and that's why I think it's so polarizing, because there's a lot of people who think we environmentalists are crazy. And that is coming up next on Bootstrapping Your Dream Show, so stay tuned. So, the big question is this, how are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough, use our creativity, our dedication and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app or making it to the top of the corporate ladder, that is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. We have created a tremendous community of bootstrappers, entrepreneurs and professionals who are ambitious, resourceful and want to get things done. We brainstorm, support and help each other out. So come join us. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. Join today and get the Startup Founders Technology Accelerator video series absolutely free. If you enjoy this video, then do let us know by hitting that like button now. Or if you want us to improve our content, then go ahead and hit that thumbs down button and give us your honest feedback in the comment section below. Here at Tata Noodle, we are passionate about entrepreneurship, technology and innovation. Every week we bring you insightful and engaging videos, interviews, tips, tricks and strategies to help you grow your business or rise in your corporate profession. If you're new here, please do consider subscribing and do not forget to hit that bell icon so that you are notified when we publish new content. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dream Show. I'm your host Manoj Agarwal and today I have a very special guest, Alexandra Paul. Alexandra began her acting career at age 18, starring in the highly rated telefilm Paper Dolls. And since then, Alexandra has appeared in over 100 feature films and television programs. She is internationally recognized for her role as Lieutenant Stephanie Holden in the TV series Baywatch. Alexandra recently launched her wellness coaching business. As a health coach, Alexandra personally coaches clients on the phone all over the world and speaks to groups on how to change their habits for a healthier lifestyle and a happier life. Well, welcome, Alexandra. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so pleased to speak with you. Yeah, same here. As I was saying earlier before the interview, um, I started watching Baywatch when I was in uh, in school, and uh, this is almost a dream come true. So thanks a lot for being with us today. Um, now, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, everybody uh, sort of uh, knows you. You are well recognized. But I would like to um, learn a little bit about uh, about you. So can you take us down the memory lane and and tell us how you got 
uh, started in your acting career and uh, what were the first few years like for you? Okay, well, gosh, I was a teenager when I started acting my first job. I was 18, as you said. So I was in high school and I started modeling in New York. And my modeling agency, Wilhelmina, asked me to take acting lessons because they wanted to send me out on commercials. And this is the farthest thing from my mind. I was, uh, my, my parents are very, we, we, we were the kind of family where you looked at art, you didn't make art. So they were really into culture, but not being necessarily creative wasn't an emphasis. We were much sort of more athletic and um, education was important. Um, so it's ironic because I'm an actress, my sister is a writer. <laughs> we ended up in quite creative, um, in, in creative uh, jobs. So I started taking acting lessons and it was like a whole new world opened up to me. And I was just on fire with this new side of me, this creative side of me. And I was actually um, on my way to Stanford University. I had taken a year off after graduating from high school to finish modeling. And then I would start doing serious things like I wanted to my major at Stanford to be in as an environmental scientist, which was not a major. I, I, if I recall, this was 1981 that I graduated from high school. So when I was filling out all those college forms, I remember they asked what um, major you were interested in. And I, I had to on several of the applications, you know, make it up. Like I knew it was environmental issues that I wanted to really focus on, but uh, but I got it went into modeling and I took this year off before going to Stanford and it was during then that I started taking acting classes and and then oh my gosh <laughs> I auditioned for the role of in a TV movie back in the 80s TV movies were huge and mm -hmm. there was the, the the movie of the week and this one was about models so they were looking for an unknown actress or slash model to play the lead role and um they cast me and i was flown to los angeles um and <laughs> i shot that film and i was just thought it was amazing and such a great experience and then I started auditioning and then I, three weeks before I was supposed to start school, I, I told my parents I didn't want to go to college yet, that I wanted to get my career more firmly down because, um, you know, I thought, well, when I, if, I, if I came to Hollywood when I was 21 after four years of high school, of, of college, sorry, I might be behind, the, uh, behind everybody. So I thought I should, I should just stay on this track now and see where it brings me. Cool. So that it brought me to Hollywood and um, I got the, the, um, the, uh, the, the, the Dean of students at Stanford wrote me a letter saying that I was throwing my life away. It was a very nice letter. It was like, Hey lady, young woman, you, sh you need, you should really reconsider this. Um, but, and I was actually very flattered back then you wrote letters. And so I actually got a handwritten le letter from him in my mailbox and um so I appreciate that because I, I do, I think education is very important and I, and I miss the fact that I didn't go to college. Well, you did pretty well uh, regardless. So I hope you re uh, sent a letter back to the Dean uh, uh, one of these days and 
<laughs> I actually, uh, my, my twin sister, Caroline, went to Georgetown, but then she transferred to Stanford a, um, a few years later, and the dean told her that he regretted writing that letter, and um, because I guess he knew that I was now working and happy and successful in my field. So, um, but, you know, we assured him that it was it was flattering that he took the time to write to a student or well, a, a to be student um, and, you know, take the time to do that. For sure. Um, now let, let me uh, ask you, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood is a competitive uh, town and it, it's not easy to make it in there. Uh, so what were some of the qualities that helped you to rise to such, um, uh, such great height in, in terms of your success in Hollywood? <sighs> Um, thank you for that question. It is very competitive, and I think there's an element of luck. I am not a great actress. I am a good actress, but I am not great. But I'll tell you what I have is I have discipline. And so I always showed up to my auditions ready. And I once was working on a movie, and I asked the writer who was, who was very successful, and he'd had um, – he'd gotten successful in college and he had very successful screenplays and and um sequels and things like that and he said you know alexandra when a producer asked me to write a script in three weeks i write a script in three weeks it's not the greatest script but i do what i'm asked and i think i very much was um followed that where um I knew just showing up, knowing your lines, being professional, just puts you ahead of a lot of people, especially in a business like Hollywood. So I think that was very, a good lesson for me. Um, the second one was when I was shooting Baywatch, I was cast as, and I am, for those of uh, your listeners who aren't familiar with how I look, I'm tall and slender. I have hardly a curve on my body. I am athletic. And Baywatch had hitherto always cast very uh, bodacious blondes with large breasts and long flowing blonde hair. Mm -hmm. And here I was cast mostly because I was athletic. And they tried in that first season to kind of make me sexy. And the truth is, that's not my, I mean, my boyfriends think I'm sexy, but that's not what I lead with. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was just dumb for me to try and be sexy when there was four other really beautiful, sexy women on the show. And so in the second season, I actually cut my hair. And I didn't realize I was doing the reason I was doing it at the time, but I was doing it because I wanted to be more myself, which is athletic, strong. There's an innocence to me. There's not that kind of overt sexuality that or sensuality that a lot of the women on Baywatch had. And actually by doing that, I actually think I really became more successful on the show by becoming more authentically myself instead of trying to fit in and be um, what I wasn't and what I wasn't as good at, frankly. Yeah, no, I, I can uh, vouch for that for sure. You know, you were authentic and you looked different than others. So I definitely remember uh, watching some really good uh, episodes of Baywatch. Um, now, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to touch upon is also mindset, because I think, uh, you know, that plays a huge role in uh, how far you can get in life. So how do you find your mindset to be um, more positive, uh, more sort of flexible than others? 
I'm definitely a positive person. And I think I'm very, I feel very blessed. Like I grew up with a family who really loved me. And I think I always knew, I didn't feel like acting, success in acting was the only way that I identified myself. I had a very, a lot of other things going on. Um, mostly my, um, my uh, social activism. Um, and I always had a lot of friends. I had, I, I, I feel like I was very positive. I had a strong core foundation. I have a lot of insecurities, though. I mean, I battled eating disorders throughout the first um, 10 years of my career. And before I got on Baywatch, by the way, because I actually wouldn't have, I probably would have said no to Baywatch if I hadn't overcome my bulimia, which is binging and purging. Um, so I, I did struggle and I was in therapy from age 16 to, to 32 very consistently. And that gave me a really good base, uh, to help me deal with struggles. I see. I see. Um, now you brought up your activism. So let's talk about that. And, uh, I read a interesting story about you that you once got arrested for saving a chicken. Is that, is that right? <laughs> Yes, I've gotten, I have been arrested quite a few times for a peaceful civil disobedience. I would say maybe 20 times, maybe. Wow. Now, okay. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no spring chicken myself, Manoush. I'm, um, I'm 56, so I've been an activist since I was 18. My first um, civil disobedience was when I was in my 20s at the Nevada test site when I was protesting nuclear weapons. Um, so I've kind of been that kind of activist for a long time. Um, so yes, I, I'm also an animal rights, um, I'm a belie strong believer in animal rights and I've mm -hmm. been a vegan for nine years and a vegetarian since I was 14. Nice. So um, I, I have, in Baywatch, they wanted to shoot, they did shoot an episode at SeaWorld and mm -hmm. they had me in the scenes and I asked them to take me out of those scenes because I, I couldn't support in any way um, any place that kept animals in captivity. So this has been a longstanding um, issue dear to my heart. I see, I see. Well, that's, uh, that's a noble cause for sure. Um, uh, but do you want to share that story about saving a chicken? You know, I, I'm, I'm surprised you got arrested 20 times. So uh, I'm sorry, I didn't have the list of all of them. But the most important, uh, most interesting one was where you saved the chicken. So if you want to uh, say <laughs> about that. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, let's see. Um, it was a couple years ago. And about, oh, gosh, hundreds, 400 activists walked in daylight with our, you know, in daylight with, with flowers in our hands onto a factory farm in Sonoma County, uh, California, in Petaluma specifically. And we walked on because we wanted to see the conditions that were in these barns um, that undercover activists had videotaped, but officials had refused to make any changes. So we decided, well, we'll go in and we'll rescue those chickens. Um, and so, oh God, I think there were 600 activists who walked peacefully on and about um, 50 of us went into barns and uh, rescued chickens who were sick or dying. And um, we brought them out and uh, took them to a vet 
And I was actually arrested later that day because we stayed on the property uh, for a while. I was arrested for, um, yeah, trespassing uh, onto the property. I, I don't, my, my charge was not um, rescuing a chicken or in, in their parlance, yeah, I guess yeah. they would have said I stole it, the, her. Yeah, I see, I see. All right, um, so the, that's an uh, interesting anecdote right there. Now let's talk about your veganism and, uh, uh, and you've also sort of started coaching people uh, around this, around healthy diet and healthy living. So can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, how did you get into veganism and what kind of effects, what kind of benefits do you get out of this? So I, as I told you, I became a vegetarian when I was 14, and that was in the early 70s. So people weren't really aware of veganism. It was more vegetarian if you loved animals and wanted to protect them. And my biggest regret in life is taking 33 years to actually go vegan. Now, the difference for your listeners who might not know between vegetarian and, and vegan is that vegetarians don't eat anything that came from um, an animal who, a, an individual who was killed, so fish or cows or any kind of meat. Um, but we, what we do, par, vegetarians partake in other aspects of animal exploitation, like uh, vegetarians drink their milk or wear their hides and things like that. So mm -hmm. veganism takes it to basically, as a vegan, I do not eat anything from an animal that includes honey or gelatin because those come from animals i don't wear wool even though the sheep is not killed um, i do not wear leather or silk um, i also do not uh, purchase anything tested on animals and uh, anything that has animal ingredients in it i also don't go to zoos aquariums circuses and as an actress, actually, I don't work with animals. Now, this is, this is a, that evolved over time because, um, gosh, you know, we all learn, right? And mm -hmm. um, I was on a movie and I, there, there were wolves and I called, I was a vegetarian then and I called and I said, could you tell me how the wolves are kept? Are they kept in the trainer's house? Are they this, you know, how are they kept? Are they kept as dogs? Or are they kept in cages? And mm -hmm. they assured me that they were well kept and everything. But when I came to the set to shoot that day, I was just appalled at the, the way the wolves were treated to do things, to follow directions on, on screen. And I regretted very much allowing that to happen. I probably, I, now I would not have done that, that role. Um, so we learned. Um, and uh, another movie I did in Bulgaria, they, they had a, this stampede of horses and I just gently said, you know, a stampede is very expensive and very hard. How are you going to do this? And uh, <laughs> I managed to convince the producers that me just riding a motorcycle was a much better way to get away from the bad guys than riding a horse in a, during a stampede. So <laughs> um, anyway, so that's, that's a bit about my veganism is that did that answer your question yeah for sure but i i would really like to get into uh the health benefits uh, you know obviously you have a passion for uh for animals and that shows but are there um more benefits like physical benefits of uh, being a vegetarian or vegan yes there are so many so there are three reasons people become vegan one is for the animals just so they're not exploited because we believe that they are individuals with their own lives and um, own rights. 
And the second one is the environment, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about, the fact that eating animals is a terrible waste of water and of land because it takes so much land to grow crops to feed animals and then we eat their little bit of meat that came from acres and acres of crops uh, that were used to feed them for many, many months. Um, and also, of course, there's the waste from these billions of animals um, that we have to deal with that seeps into our groundwater. So that's the environmental benefits. The health benefits are so amazing. Not only do you have amazing energy, but as you know, meat has been considered a, a, a very dangerous carcinogen by the United States. Uh, you know, it's a well-known now scientist, scientific research, but research has also found that um, dairy uh, is, is not natural for us to eat. Dairy is only for babies. So only, and, and actually in humans, we have an enzyme that most of the world, has, and those people who are quote unquote lactose intolerant, they have enzyme, the enzyme galactose that turns off as it should uh, when they're about four or five years old. And um, yet we brand them with this, this uh, title that's lactose intolerant, like something's wrong with them. No, um, seven, over 75% of the um, humans are lactose intolerant and that's the way they're supposed to be because there's no species on earth who drinks milk past weaning except for humans and no species drinks milk of another species that's so crazy if you won't drink your neighbor's breast milk what are you doing drinking a cow's milk that you never even whom you never even met right so the the um the benefits are so of course we're not supposed to eat um, uh, milk, drink milk past weaning. And we're definitely not supposed to drink the milk of another species because milk is the perfect food for it. The, the, breast, um, the breast milk is perfect for the child of the mother who has that breast. And it's got the perfect configuration. And if you look at the makeup of, of um, human milk, it's very, very different. From that of cow's milk because cow's milk is supposed to bring a calf from let's say she's 89 pounds at birth to 600 mm -hmm. pounds very quickly and that's not um that's not how humans grow and of course um studies have shown that um the the cancer is uh, much um exacerbated by animal foods and cholesterol and high blood pressure I mean, there's so many um, reasons for your health not to eat um, animal foods. And you can go to so many interesting websites uh, to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. I see. Did that answer um, your question? For sure, for sure. And I can attest to uh, lactose intolerance. Uh, you know, after 40 years, I realized, uh, I, I used to drink milk on a regular basis, but then I realized, you know, it was not really uh, helping me. And, uh, and I don't know how it, I realize it, but then I, when I stop, I feel much better now. And uh, you, you know, Caucasians from Northern Europe, um, they tolerate milk because they've been, their culture has, I guess they started drinking it way, way before. But most cultures, especially in the East and Africa, that yeah. do not tolerate because they just don't, they don't have a culture of drinking milk. So yeah. when in um, Asia, very, you know, that's 
milk was just introduced very, very recently. So most of those folks do not tolerate, uh, 95% um, percent of Asians do not tolerate milk. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm a history buff, so I read, uh, you know, um, when they used to uh, wage wars, um, you know, the armies, if, uh, particularly if they were in colder regions, they had to um, consume milk to preserve body fat and, and gain energy. So that has something that, you know, the weather has something to do with it as well, because um, in, the, in the northern areas of Europe and, uh, and Asia, people drink milk a lot. And anyway, in the, in the, uh, in the developing uh, countries, milk is a, is a luxury item. It's not cheap. So um, that's another factor why a lot of people, you know, don't get to experience milk and they don't grow up drinking a lot of milk. Yeah, and um, yeah, a lot of digestive problems. If you have digestive problems, or if you're diarrhea, constipation, you have bloating, uh, getting rid of milk is really, really, uh, uh, I bet you it'll help a lot. And also if you have skin issues like eczema or acne, also get rid of the dairy first and see how it is. I have a podcast called the Switch for Good podcast. Um, and is Switch and then the Digit for Good podcast and um, we, we interview a lot of doctors and what surprised me is that the doctors every one of them so let's say in this last year seven or eight of them said right off before if you're going to become give up any animal products give up dairy first and I was surprised because most people give up meat first like I did right yeah, most yeah. people become vegetarian first for their health yeah. but no yeah. give up dairy I see. That's uh, yeah, that's a, a big revelation for sure. Um, now, I let me try and being a devil's advocate here because our society is not sort of geared towards veganism. Uh, people uh, with lesser means, you know, they find it difficult. Even even for me, if you know, if I'm traveling, I find it incredibly difficult to find uh, uh, good food at reasonable price, which is you know cooked properly, uh, is vegetarian or whatever. So. Uh, do you find that uh, things are changing and how like do you uh, can you recommend any any strategies people can implement to, to actually um, adopt ve uh, vegetarianism or veganism in their lives uh, without going yes i can well, first, let me give you a very specific one, and then I'll give you a more general way to just stay healthy, uh, to, to just implement more healthy habits. Um, that's the basis of my coaching. But there's an app called Happy Cow, and it will, um, it will get, if you're traveling, you can go to happycow.net on the internet or, and download the app, um, Happy Cow on any platform. Uh, and it will, it has, it has vegan, vegetarian and vegetarian friendly, um, restaurants and stores all over the world. Um, but of course, yes, it's not easy always to do something, but just because it's not easy doesn't mean that it's impossible and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it because the benefits are so great because being overweight isn't easy either or um, having a lot of diseases and not being um, really healthy when you're older isn't easy too. So what I recommend to my clients a lot and not just for becoming vegan or vegetarian um, but for daily healthy practices is firstly to plan, to plan ahead. And if you're traveling, even if you're going out for the day, is bring some food with you. 
Um, I bring carrots and hummus with me and um, taking a cooler. And I know this sounds like, oh my gosh, people are rolling their eyes when they're listening. And they're saying, I'm not going to do that. It just, this is what implementing small habits um, does. At first it seems crazy. And then you just do it once and maybe just go out and purchase uh, an ice pack. <laughs> and, and then the next, um, the next day, maybe cut up some carrots and buy some hummus. And when you're going to work, bring that with you so that instead of going to the vending machine, you have a snack with you. And I always recommend actually that people bring their own lunch to work also because eating out at restaurants every day is, is expensive. And that's what a lot of people do. And so planning ahead is super important. Yeah, that's so true. Um, now, let me ask another uh, sort of controversial question here. Um, I, hope, uh, um, I hope it's okay. Um, so how far do we need to go in terms of veganism? Because, you know, there are a lot of uh, medicines, that are, a lot of drugs that are extracted from animals like, you know, penicillin and antibac um, antibacterial uh, stuff. They all come from very tiny organisms, right? So how, how can we reconcile uh, that with, uh, with the spirit of uh, veganism? Well, you're right. It's really hard in this society today to avoid. I am not completely pure. I am sure. Everything I know of, I, except for, you know, I know my contact lenses probably are tested, but I wear them. Just like if I wore glasses, they probably somehow have been tested before. So there are some things we, we just, we make the choice. And, um, but there are things that we, if you eat healthily, you hopefully won't have to take as many drugs. For example, I do take a thyroid medication and I ask that it be made from plants and it was possible. Um, and you, sometimes you ask for these alternatives. Um, and just by asking, you help spread the ethos that it's not okay to yeah. use animals in that way. Uh, now, can you share any um, any success stories uh, from your clients or otherwise who have really benefited by adopting a vegan diet? I want to be clear that as a health coach, I don't actually tell people how to eat. I don't say you should eat this, this, and this. <laughs> okay. um, for to because that's. They can learn that from the internet. What I do as a health coach is help them integrate habits into their lives. So, for example, I had a client who he wanted to get back to exercising. And he told me, Alexandra, I used to hike and I liked hiking. And so we made a goal and a very specific goal because a lot of people, one of the biggest mistakes they make on New Year's uh, for their New Year's resolutions is, is their, their goals are too vague. They say something like, I want to lose 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. And then, or they might even say, I want to lose weight. That's really vague. Um, and so they need to have to be more specific. So I need to lose 10 pounds and I'm going to do that by exercising three times a week for 40 minutes after work. And substituting um, Coke with sparkling water at, at dinner. That's how specific that we need to be when we 
put out uh, when we write down our New Year's resolutions. The second mistake that we all make when we want to make changes is that we make changes that are too big. Really, if you don't, if you dread the, the task that you're doing to reach your goal, then make that task smaller. So, for example, if I have a client who doesn't like exercising, they don't like running, I don't tell them to go running. I say, what, what do you like? And if they say, well, I'm okay with walking, then I say, well, let's walk. And if, they're, if they still aren't crazy about it, we start with just 10 minutes. We start slowly and start implementing that habit. There's a really good book called Atomic Habits. which uh-huh. There's so many great books on habits. The Power of Habit, Atomic Habits, um, that are two of them that I can think of right off the top of my head that talk about this. Um, okay. So anyway, back to my client. <laughs> and, and I just had a client last week who he, he was um, a dairy drinker a lot. He drank glasses of milk and I sent him information on um, non-dairy, the reasons why folks would benefit from not drinking dairy. So he switched to oat milk and he said to me, Alexandra, my, um, I am feel so much better. I don't have bloating anymore. And he'd never even told me that he uh, felt bloated, actually, probably because it was maybe too personal and his digestive stuff. And he said, I am not going to go back to drinking milk. Now, I need to still talk to him about cheese because a lot of people love cheese. And I will. I'll bring it up. And if he says, no, I don't want to give up cheese, then I don't force him to give up cheese. Um, but we'll, we'll, we can discuss it. And if he chooses to. But back to my, sorry, I'm, I'm going off topic a little bit. But so my client um, who liked hiking, he, he, the next week we set a goal, a specific goal of him going hiking, and he came back to me the, the following week, the next session, and I said, how'd it go? How'd your exercise goal, got goal go? And he said, I didn't do it. And I said, well, what, what's going on? And he says, well, I don't really like being outdoors and seeing people. And I thought, oh, okay, this is, this is good information. This isn't you failing. If he hadn't had a coach like I, he would have thought, I'm lazy. I'm lazy. I'm no good. I've, I'm, I'm not going to this exercise thing and just beat himself up. I said, no, this is good information, Brian. Let's see what, um, tell me more about what you, what you like, what you want. And he said he realized that, well, I prefer to be you know, by myself and not have to deal with people and seeing people. So, and then he says to me, swear to gosh, I actually have an old treadmill in it wrapped in plastic in my backyard. Don't know why it was in his backyard, but this is California, so it doesn't matter. Um, And I could put it in my studio. So he unwrapped it, put it in his studio, and then he was, then yay, he started walking on it and listening to music because he wasn't bored. And he just, and so what, what I'm saying to your listeners is that what he learned was he's not lazy. It was just that the, his system wasn't, his environment wasn't conducive yeah, yeah. and he need to experiment. And that's what I help my clients do. That's also. Right. Yeah, self, yeah, self-awareness is very important for sure. And, and also not um, experimenting. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you're, it's about you. It might be about the system, the environment, what maybe it's not the right exercise, the right time of day, the right length of time. Do you know what I'm saying? 
for sure yeah no i completely understand yeah experimentation to to discover yourself is a, is a is a great part of being you know becoming self aware because we don't know what we don't like yeah? other unless we experiment we won't know right and, and and a lot of people because we've been taught in our culture that if you don't exercise you're not active and you, you you're not motivated and it must be that you're lazy and bad but let me i know your listeners are not lazy i don't know many lazy people in this society it's you know it's it's usually something else like you don't like you're intimidated by the gym or yeah. you don't like to do this certain exercise it doesn't mean you wouldn't like another exercise yeah exactly um, all right, that's great. Um, now, one of the last questions uh, is about your activism. What are the areas you're focusing on? One of the one of the things that I'm very passionate about is uh, climate and environment, and you know, I'm I'm really um, sort of worried about what's going on in the Amazon and how things are uh, unfolding uh, across the world. What are your views about it? What are your areas of interest? In um, I. Uh, I am so glad that you brought this up because it's such an important topic and so serious. It's not just an environmental issue. Uh, the climate change is, is about national security. It's about quality of life for humans. It's unfortunately has been framed as an environmental issue. And that's why I think it's so polarizing because there's a lot of people who think we environmentalists are crazy. So once any issue that's framed as an environmentalist issue must be just crazy and overblown. And I think that's one of the reasons there's so much um, polarization in, over this issue and people feel like they have to deny the, that it's happening. Um, but so back to the thing, I, I have for a long, long time since I was a kid actually been very concerned about the number of people on the planet. And so I have been focusing on human overpopulation and I have a TEDx talk um, that has about 500,000 views now. I think it's been up for a while. Um, and uh, that talks about the benefits of having smaller families. Um, because I believe we need to start talking about human numbers. As I told you, I'm in my mid-50s, and the world population was 3 billion when I was born, and it's now 7.7 .7 billion. And so it's more than double. It's, it's, it's just crazy. It's almost quadrupled in my mother's lifetime. Mm -hmm. And we can't go on like this. And it's... Um, and a large population will not be able to deal with the effects of climate change as well as a smaller population if we're going if we're we have to be able to adapt to the effect of climate change and the un predicts that there will be 11.2 billion people on the planet in 80 years and that is going to make it very very difficult uh, for us to be nimble dealing with the um, effects of climate change yeah yeah for sure so um so like what is the solution like what can we do about it like uh, you know china implemented one child policy but they have sort of uh, taken that away now um so what can we do about this implementing forcing people to have smaller kids is not the answer and um i i all of us folks who are pushing for smaller families want just want people to learn the benefits of having a smaller family because Right now, in most cultures, pretty much every culture around the world, there is this um, 
mentality that big families are happy families and only children are lonely children. And if you choose not to have kids at all, then you're a selfish person. And the reason that it's so strong in, in each culture is because our biology is to procreate. Every species is wired to procreate. And that is how we became so successful. But now we have procreated so successfully that ironically, if we want to survive, we now have to start looking at our, slowing down our procreation. Um, so there are several things we can do. One is let everyone choose to have a smaller family by giving them access, of course, to birth control and abortion and sex education. Uh, also, governments can help incentivize having smaller families by instead of giving tax deductions, like in the United States, for every kid you do have, give us tax deductions for people who choose not to have children. Um, they're helping actually have a less of a burden on, uh, you know, the school systems and everything also. So why, why not? Um, also, so government incentives, I'm much more for incentivizing rather than penalizing. So if people want to have large families, then let's make it so that it's more of a, not a cultural norm anymore. And, and because humans are such tribal creatures who like to conform, eventually um, family size, family sizes will go down naturally to one, I believe. Um, they've already fallen hugely since I was born in the 60s. The average family size was five in 1960. And now it's 2.5 kids. So, I'm sorry, the average number of kids was five and now it's 2.5. So yeah. that's the family size has been halved, but because we have so many people and people are living so much longer, our population is growing so yeah. fast. So fast. Um, so, so just to just to recap, government incentives are really important. Changing the cultural norm and um, about um, family size and people like I who don't have kids. Um, you know, I, I, it's not because I'm selfish. <laughs> like we should um, start understanding that um, that there are so many benefits to to society. Uh, to having smaller families. And then um, let's make it easier for everybody to to reach that. Cool, that's great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a very interesting, very uh, educational and uh, entertaining conversation. Uh, I hope uh, you can come back to uh, the show uh, one day and uh, talk about some other subjects uh, dear to your heart. Thank you so much for having me on your excellent podcast. I really appreciate it. And I would love to come back. I'm sure we can find many, many things to talk about. And that's all for now. Until next time. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or a career professional, then I invite you to join our growing community. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. As a welcome bonus, you will get the Startup Founders Technology Accelerator video series and Mastering Your Inner Game video series absolutely free. This series of short videos address some core issues which are instrumental in helping you move forward in your business or career. The videos are yours to view and share for free. No obligations or strings attached except for one. You have to take action and implement it. So join us today. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. If you want more engaging videos and insightful interviews with industry's thought leaders, then check out the other videos we have picked for you. The link is right there. And if you want to be notified about our new content, please do consider subscribing to our channel.